through the Gospel of Mark, and we got stuck on Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And so we've been, we're finally moving on. We're finally on to verse 30. You didn't even know there was a verse 30. Uh, so now you do. So Mark 29, uh, Mark 4, uh, verse 30, we're going to read, um, I don't know, about five or six verses right there. So again, he said, Jesus said to them, uh, the kingdom of God is like, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Uh, or what parable shall we use to describe it? Now, over the past, I don't know, six, seven weeks, we've been talking about some parables to describe it, uh, some ways in which he's trying to explain to us the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by the way, is the rule of God. It's when God is in charge. And so what he's describing is when God is taking over. Uh, and that can be within uh, an organization like a church. That can be part of the kingdom of God. That can be within your own life. That's where the kingdom of God ultimately resides, is within your own heart. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And so when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about a big picture idea. And then his listeners, his followers, can break it down individually for where they are and for how they need it. But that, that's what he's talking about. Verse 31, he said, it is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And uh, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. And uh, he didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. I want to stop right there. So Mark is kind of giving us a summary of the, quote, many parables that he shared uh, with the people that he was speaking to. And he said, Mark says, it's many such parables, or it's many parables like this. In other words, Jesus, like any good preacher, found a bunch of different ways to say the same thing. And so he was, he was constantly trying to find different angles for his people to understand. And so the one that Mark records for us as kind of the, 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 the hallmark parable around which many other parables were, were, were formed was this mustard seed parable. Now, it's interesting, in another gospel, Jesus uses the parable of the mustard seed, only it's with regard to faith. He says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and be cast into the sea, and it'll happen. So Jesus, I guess, apparently must have liked mustard seeds. Uh, he got a lot out of it. He got a lot of truth out of this tiny little seed. I didn't bring any with you because you really couldn't see anyway if I held it up. It, it, the, mustard seeds are just tiny little, I, th I think it's pretty good bird food actually because it's so small, it's like great for them to kind of nibble on. It's tiny little seeds, uh, but Jesus says it grows. The, the thing that he's pointing out about it is that it grows much larger than you would expect. It grows in ways in which you wouldn't respect. Now, we, we're not an agricultural society, so for some of us, we're like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, and, and, and truly, he, he says it grows larger. What, what does he say? He says it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest 
of all, this is the NIV, all garden plants. So that is important because I think in the King James it says it grows to be the largest of trees and that's kind of silly because it technically doesn't grow to be the largest of trees. For instance, oak trees grow much larger than mustard. Uh, they're, they're not even trees technically. <laughs> and so anyway, this, this, this passage is quite interesting for me because this is one of the first sermons I ever preached um, on a regular Sunday morning service. I was 17 and um, I preached my first sermon ever when I was 12 years old. And, uh, but it was kind of a special service. It was like we were part of a small church. There was maybe like 25 of us and there was like five of us uh, young people. And um, my mom decided we were going to all do a Christmas special thing. And so we didn't have enough to make up like a, a manger scene, I guess. And so, and so they just, the, the grown-ups decided we would just take over the service for the morning. And um, I think Peter took up offering. That sounds about right. I think Brandon, I think Brandon did like a testimony time. We used to have testimony time at our church. I don't remember that, the awkward part when they go, all right, does anybody who hasn't got to share something this with, does anyone want to stand up and share and take up our time for the next 15 minutes? And so somebody, you know, it was always like the same three people and uh, they would always get up and tell you how their week went or how it didn't go and all this stuff. So anyway, I think Brandon like oversaw that portion. Um, we had a girl who played the piano. She played some hymns for us to sing and, and then they decided that I would preach. And so I just, when I was 12, I just recently started feeling the call of God on my life. I wasn't sure what it was for. I thought it was for ministry. I didn't know if it was preaching or what. And so I, I, I get up there and I preach on Matthew chapter 5. Um, I preached on a passage, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so it's still one of my, I don't know, one of my life verses. I, I think it's powerful. Um, so after that, everybody was like, wow, Harry, like you're, you're really good at that. Like you're going to do that next year. And so like every Christmas, like Harry would get up and preach and then uh, Kelly would play the piano and Peter would take up offering. And so we, 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 we would like do this kind of thing. And um, uh, until I was 17 on a Monday Thursday, which is a special Monday Thursday, the Thursday before the re resurrection Sunday. And so we had a special service and I preached in that service. And man, God really, I don't know, was doing some stuff inside of me with regard to my calling. And the pastor recognized that. And so he came up to me afterward. He's like, hey, how about you preach um, on a regular service? So my first time preaching in a regular service was on a was was on a midweek service that's when all the newbies get their get their shot and uh, as a midweek service and uh, it, really, it was funny because in our church it really didn't matter the same people were there in the midweek service that were there on Sunday morning so it's really the same thing uh, but anyway so I'm there in the midweek service and, and and he wanted me to preach he asked me to preach on a on a a vision that I had had that I'd shared with the church uh, recently. And, and this is a terrible idea. Don't, don't preach on visions and dreams that you have. It's, it gets so convoluted. You have so much information. You don't know how to share it. It was the longest, most boring sermon I've ever preached to date. Um, it was the kind of sermon that makes you want to just never preach again. Um, cause like we, I used to record myself and listen later on, which is tough to do. That one is the only sermon I've never been able to listen all the way through. I start and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just terrible. Like, what was I thinking? What was I saying? I don't know. And so anyway, so I thought I was done. I'm like, well, never going to preach again at 17. I was a one hit wonder, Monday, Thursday wonder. And, uh, but then turns out he's like, no, no, how would you preach on Sunday? And he wanted me to preach through the parables. And which, again, is a really not a great idea. 
Uh, if you're going to train somebody to preach, don't have them preach through the parables first. Because the parables are Jesus' stories that he's telling that he gives some of the meaning to. But the problem is if you're a new preacher, you just like all the meaning to all the stuff. And you like, anyway, so it wasn't as bad as the vision sermon that I had. Uh, but again, it was pretty tricky. It's pretty difficult to read a parable from Jesus being a 21st century American even. Just trying to understand what in the world is he even saying? What's a mustard tree? Like, what is this? And so... So a lot of, so, so I just did a lot of study on that. And some of the things I found was that, number one, there are no mustard trees. There are mustard bushes or, or uh, uh, shrubbery. <laughs> Go and fetch me a mustard shrubbery um, for, for those that are in the know. But anyway, there, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a bush. It's like a shrubbery. It's, it's, it's not a tree at all. And so, actually, it's quite interesting. Jesus says, look, you know, you have this teeny little seed, and then you have this bush, in, but it's within a garden setting. He's not, he's not talking about out in the wild. He's talking about within a garden setting. That you have this mustard, and then he actually calls it a tree. He says it's the largest tree in the garden, which is part of what I believe Jesus is trying to say with this parable, is that the kingdom of God starts off, first of all, very small incredibly small, incredibly insignificant. And it's interesting, over the years, from the time I was 17 until now, what is that, 26 years? 26 years, yeah. So 26 years. Over the past 26 years, uh, man, I've got to see, I've got to preach in front of the kingdom of God, that's people. I've got to sit and counsel with the kingdom of God, that's people. I've got to walk alongside people. And, and it's been interesting, like at times, I've preached in front of 1,500 people. That's a pretty large kingdom of God. It's a little weird to talk about the mustard seed when there's 1,500 people in this service and then there's going to be about 1,000 in the next service. It's like, well, how is this applicable to you all? Because it's like, I don't know. It's like, I think you're, you're not mustard seed level anymore. Now, there's been other times when I've sat down and preached... Um, I remember Gene's church, like years ago, he had me preach at his church and it was like Gene and like two other people. And they were meeting in a gym of, of another church. So it was like an off time, like Sunday afternoon or evening, I forget. It's like a time when that church wasn't meeting. And so it was Gene and like, I think it was two other people. And then my mom and dad drove down from Michigan because we were in uh, Ohio. They drove down. So they doubled the congregation. Like mom and dad and Peter like doubled the congregation. And so it was very small, very mustard seed. So that makes sense. I can, I, I can preach about the mustard seed. But it's interesting. This, this passage is written to all churches uh, for all times so that no matter whether or not you're feeling like wow we're really productive we're doing a lot or whether you're like man we really haven't done anything I don't know or you're feeling very small or like us just kind of somewhere in the middle it's it's still this is still a very productive and empower empowering uh verse of scripture to read and, and as, as a preacher, it's just interesting because you walk through this journey. And, and I remember when I stood up and preached to our 25 people, I was like, okay, so there's the mustard seed and God wants the kingdom of God to grow. But the truth is, no matter how large the church is, the message is still the same. God wants his kingdom to grow. So large churches need to figure out how to grow right? So they need to plant other small churches in places where there aren't churches. They need to send missionaries to places. Small churches need to figure out how to grow. They grow here, but also send out our own missionaries occasionally and people who... And so God's mandate... And so this, this, this is the first point. If you're taking notes, the first point is that God's kingdom will grow. It will grow. He has 
designed it to grow. He has uh, a plan for it, and he's constructed it in such a way that his kingdom will grow regardless of opposition, regardless of whatever may come against it. But his church, the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about, when I talk about the kingdom right now, I'm talking about the church. Now, I know there's a kingdom that's within you. God wants that to grow too. But God wants his church, his kingdom to grow. How does it grow? By people getting saved. That's how his kingdom grows. That as people come to know Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, God's kingdom expands and grows. That's why he called us to South Austin to plant a church. Not to gather a bunch of people who are already Christians and and sing together and, and talk about how good Jesus is. That's part of it. But ultimately, we're here to reach out to our neighbors, to the community, to those who do not know God. And if you're here today and you don't know God, wonderful, you're going to fit right in because those are the kinds of people that we are looking for. We want people who haven't yet committed their life to Christ because that's how the kingdom of God grows. So we'll do things to facilitate that. For instance, last weekend, we did an Easter bash. Um, and it was fun and it was great, but it wasn't for the fun and it wasn't for the great. It was for the fact that we believe God wants his kingdom to grow. And we believe that God's kingdom doesn't grow by a, a bunch of people just sitting in a room closed off to ourselves saying, man, let's pray that God's kingdom grows. Lovely. That's part of it. Prayer is part of it. But, but faith without works is dead. So you have to do something. You have to step out sometimes. And so you have to, you have to get a cotton candy machine. You got to get a jumpy cancel. You got to do something. And so, you know, so we're out there. I'm trying to get my bearings. We're out that way. Yeah. So we were right, right out there, right out front there. And last Saturday, before Saturday before Easter, man, many of you served. Many of you showed up early. Uh, you sweated. got some sweat equity in, um, setting up tables, setting up cash grabs, setting up, uh, uh, man, the, the baskets, you know. And so all of, all of the work that we did, that wasn't just for nothing. That was worship that we were giving to God because we believe that his kingdom ought to grow. And so we, we don't make it grow. We, we can't make it grow, but we can facilitate that growth. Jesus said if the mustard seed goes into the ground, if it's planted, then it will grow. And so our job is to plant the kingdom of God into as many hearts as we possibly can. He'll do the saving. He'll do the convicting. We don't have to tell people that they're wrong. He'll do the convicting. We don't have to be the first one to let, let everybody know. No, he'll do the salvation. He'll do the conviction. He'll do the change. He'll do the discipleship. He'll do all of that. We have to plant the kingdom of God into people's hearts. And so that's what we did. We broke out jumpy castles and all this kind of stuff. And we had, I don't know, we had a lot of people. I don't think anybody technically counted, but I do know that Pastor Eddie said that we had, that we started out with 200 paper cones that you make the, the cotton candy with, 200 of those paper cone thingies, and we ran out like halfway through. So unless Kirk was, was, was eating a lot of his own cotton candy, I don't know, I wasn't watching, so I don't know if Kirk and Lily were chowing down on the cotton candy themselves, but I don't, or if parents were like double fisting, I'm not sure. Uh, I hope there was better, you know, administration than that. But um, I'm just saying, that's at least 200 kids like halfway through, and then we ran out of cotton candy. So that's amazing. That's a lot of seeds being sown. That's a lot. You say, well, well, we, well we never preached. What are you talking about? We preached the whole time. All of you were preaching. Every conversation is a sermon. Every life example is a sermon. 
So, so yeah, we never broke down the scriptures, or at least I didn't publicly with a microphone. But many of us preached about the kingdom of God, about the love of God, about the openness of, of God, about the fact that God cares about this community, about the fact that God desires this community to be better because his church was in it, about the fact that God's church is not judgmental and pointing fingers and just desiring your money. In fact, we're willing to spend money that you all have given, instead of giving the pastor a raise, we're willing to, I mean, you all can do that too. I mean, that can happen. But I'm just saying, like, instead of it just staying in here and us taking care of our own and getting better lights and getting better equipment, no, we're willing to spend money to, to love on our neighbors. That's a sermon. That's a sermon because God wants his kingdom to grow. So we reach out in Easter bashes and Christmas bashes. We reach out and keep kids fed. So during the bash, right, we had you all donate a whole bunch of chocolate, um, which again, could have just went to the pastoral staff. I don't know. I think it could have just been snacks for us for a few months. I think it, that it was pretty tempting sitting over here every day, every day. But I'm just saying, we decided to put those baskets together and offer free Easter baskets to our keep kids fed families. And so I don't know how many families came through. I know there was 37 um, baskets and almost all of them, well, ended up, all of them ended up being given away, being taken. And, and, and again, you say, well, it's not just about chocolate. It's about the kingdom of God growing. Because we are here to sow seeds of the kingdom of God into people's hearts to let them know that God cares about them where they're at, that God knows their name, that he believes, that, that, that he believes that they can change, that they can respond to him. We're not, we're, we, do, we don't believe in predestination, so we don't just think everybody's either in or out. Like right now, people are in the balance of being in or out forever. Right now, the pendulum is swinging. Right now, people are on the, the teetery top, you know, they could, it could go either way. Decisions are being made. That, that's why angels and demons are locked in conflict right now. Because people's eternal destinies are on the line. So why in the world would angels and demons be locked in conflict in God's church just be sitting back saying, well, I hope, I hope, I, I hope something works out. You know, it's just, it would be really great. We're not, we're not that kind of church. We believe the kingdom of God is intended and designed to grow. And we believe people need what we have. People need the kingdom of God in their lives and in their families and in their marriages and with their kids, just like we need it. And just like we need it and like it's been helpful to us and life-changing to us, it can be life-changing to somebody else. And so we plant seeds every chance that we get. In fact, uh, it, was, it was so awesome just sitting. So we had Easter, at Easter service, and my family's out. You know, they're in New Zealand. And so um, uh, 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 Romeo and Jackie asked me to go out to eat with them. So I, I went along the Serranos with them. And it was so cool just sitting at the table. I didn't really say much because I've been talking a lot. I don't know if you noticed that or not. <laughs> You've been hearing from me a lot, like Friday night, uh, uh, Good Friday service, Saturday at the bash all day, Sunday preaching. I mean, I, I was out of words. And so I was just sitting there snacking on chips and salsa. That's all I was there for. And, and, and Diet Coke with some lime. It's really good. And so you just sit there. And I, but it was cool just to sit there because we had Romeo and Jackie. And then across from them, we had Maria and Fernando. And I don't know if you guys got, got to see Fernando, but he was up for Easter. He's in San Antonio right now. He's at a ministry there called Adult and Teen Challenge. And it's a ministry. So, like, there's, there's, there's just this, this history. that the, the beauty about being a part of the growing kingdom of God 
The beauty about that is that you get to watch the kingdom of God grow. Like, it's, you, you don't do it. You just plant seeds, you water, you, 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 you encourage people to get toward the sun. Come on, somebody, this is a good sermon. And, and, and then, then you just sit there and growth happens. And so it's so cool to sit at the table because, like, Fernando is somebody who uh, Maria used to go to our church, like, super faithful. She, she'd come, and she was trying to get her, her grandson, uh, Fernando, to come to church. He really needed God. And so he, he showed up one time, and he was super, like, his bloodshot eyes. He, he didn't really want to talk to me. And I uh, was, so, oh, this is the pastor. Oh, great, you know. And he kind of, like, snuck around. He's in the back. And it's like, okay, cool. And so he listened, whatever, and then he took off. And then, like, I don't know, a few months later, we had a service here in the new building that we were in. And, and so he came to that, and we had invited Adult and Teen Challenge um, to come and speak. Adult and Teen Challenge, those of you guys that don't know, it's a ministry in San Antonio that works with people dealing with addiction, substance abuse, alcoholism, drugs, that kind of thing. So we had their team come because we support them. We support them financially. We, uh, we, we would love to have them come in. So they shared about the ministry, and Fernando was here. Fernando heard about the ministry, and he's like, man, I really need that. So he stayed after and talked to one of the guys for like an hour. And then he ended up going to the, it's, it's, it's like a 10-month, 9-month program, a rehab program. So he, he, he checked himself in, and then he fell off. I think he fell off, and then he checked himself back in. <laughs> and then he went through it, and then he got out, and then he fell off, and then he checked himself back in. And yeah, and he said, he was telling us it's been a year that he's been sober, coming up on a year. Yeah. And he's working in the ministry. He's there working, but he's, he's not planning on staying there forever. He's got a plan uh, for the first time in his life. He knows what he wants to go to college for, you know, and so he's working toward that plan. And it's, I'm, I'm sitting there hearing Fernando talk about, and it's just cool because you sit back and you see the kingdom of God grows. And I was like, and it's really cool because he's also sitting across from Romeo and I've seen a lot of growth there. And then Jackie's smiling and she's happy and I've seen a lot of growth there. And it's so cool though to see God wants the kingdom of God to grow. He will grow. If, if, if it's not growing, it's because we are stopping it somehow. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not planting the seed. We're not watering the seed. But if, if you just leave it alone, let, it, let him do what he does. He will grow, and he will will we'll see so much freedom come out of it. And so, actually, Fernando now is in charge of scheduling. They have a they have a, a chapel, I guess, a chapel every week. And so, he's in charge of scheduling that. And so, so we're trying to get a, play, a time for Romeo to go preach to them. So, if anybody wants to go on a Thursday night, hit us up. A few of us are going to go down there. Romeo is going to bring the word, and we're going to preach to these folks. And uh, it's about forty or so um, uh, people in the program. And yeah, man, because we want the kingdom of God to grow. And because what God's doing in Romeo doesn't need to stay in Romeo. It needs to get out of Romeo. What God's doing in you doesn't need to stay in you. It needs to get out of you. You need to plant seeds in various opportunities that arise. And so, so that's what we do as a church, man. We are constantly looking for that. And it's interesting to me how God, God does it. God is working and moving when we don't even know it. So, like, this is, this is kind of crazy. This really spoke to me. I don't know, don't know if this will speak to you or not, but uh, for me, it was really interesting. Last week, Easter, Easter week, you know, uh, the week of Easter's, uh, we were, you know, as a pastor, that's like the most stressful time because it's the most important sermon and, uh, of, the, of, of, the, of the whole year. No, just kidding. It's not, that's not why, but there's a lot going on. And then on top of that, you have the Easter sermon to prepare. And I didn't want to, I felt like God was saying, don't go through Mark 
preach on the Easter story. And I said, great. So I started reading through the Easter story of the resurrection of Jesus, and I, I didn't get anything. And so God just wasn't telling me anything. And I was praying, and I was like, Lord, what is it? And nothing. And so it's like Thursday, and I have nothing. Like Thursday night, I'm talking to Ro. It's like her Friday morning. I'm like, I, I don't know. I have literally nothing to preach. I may just show up and be like, well, guys, he's risen, period. There you go. Uh, Brenda, yeah, <laughs> probably says that'll never happen. Uh, you know, I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. If that's, if that's what he wants, you know, okay. But no, like um, uh, Brenda, Brenda sent me, a, Brenda sent me a, a, it was, I don't know, it was a funny video of a pastor who got up and he's like, uh, I think like his whole sermon was just basic. Well, he was acting like his whole sermon was, what was it? Um, the devil is a snake. That's what he said. The devil is a snake because a uh, snake doesn't have any arms or legs because the devil's been disarmed and defeated. Woo! And that's it. I said, well. And I said, I said that's, that's all I had to do on Sunday. That's all I had to say. And then take up a big offering. Okay, all right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know it could be that simple. But I was just telling Ro, I'm like, baby, I have no idea. Like, what I'm going to preach? Like, do you have any ideas? You got any good sermon ideas? Like, ah, oh, nothing. And she's like, I don't know. And so it was, um, it was kind of late Thursday night that, um, man, God just began to show me. It, I, as I was reading again through the story of, of the Marys, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, she's, they're, 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 they're sitting across from the tomb when they rolled the stone over I'd never really noticed that before, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like they're, they're weeping, they're broken, and then I'm like, that's the first people Jesus showed up to, right? And so then I started reading, and so, and so, so this idea started forming, uh, that God started leading me along this line of, all right, these are the people that Jesus appeared to, and so I had the four people that Jesus appeared to. So the next night, Saturday, uh, Friday night, I'm talking to Ro, and it's her, um, it's her Saturday there in New Zealand, and I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I kind of have this idea, and so I was just sharing it. She's like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll be praying about that. So then she goes, so then Saturday, she goes to church church in um in new zealand like at at at, at her parents church and uh their church they're, they're meeting in a in a school but they have three different services they're really growing and they're building this great building god's doing a lot of great things and so she texts me in the middle of the service she's like you'll never believe what this pastor is preaching on and i said well, i what and she's like well the she's he's preaching on the, the the people that jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead and i'm like take good notes so i can steal that sermon I'm at a bash. I don't have time to prepare no sermon. Like, help me help a brother out. Just kidding. I don't, I don't that, that's tacky. I don't steal people's sermons. That's lame. But anyway, so she's like, so, so, so later on after the bash, I give her a call and I'm like, so what did he say? And she's like, well, he appears to the mourning or the grieving people. I'm like, all right, check. I already got that. Because I'd already told her the four people that, that Jesus, that I saw Jesus appear to, those who were mourning, uh, those who were quitting, or, you know, the mourners, the quitters, the doubters, and the faithful. That's what I, and so, because you all remember that, of course, from last, last Sunday. Um, and so, uh, uh, she said, yeah, so he said, the mourners, uh, the quitters, and the doubters. And that, that was the three that, that, that he appeared to, according to that sermon. I was like, that is crazy. On the other side of the world, I don't know, know this guy. I'm not, we're not connected at all. But the Holy Spirit is so interested in the kingdom of God growing that he'll even sort of configure sermons 
in sync, uh, 17 hours ahead, <laughs> which I don't know what's going on, on the other side of the world. Like, and, and, and that's just one church that I know of. I, I would be super interesting like, to get with a bunch of other people. So what did you preach on on Easter? What did you preach on on Easter? So fascinating how sometimes the Holy Spirit is just, he's moving the church to grow. He's sharing a message. And that message has a purpose of growth. And so last week, man, we saw people make steps to come into the kingdom. So I guess my question to you is, what are you doing to facilitate that? Are you helping the kingdom of God grow? Are you planting seeds as you walk through life? <laughs> Got quiet. But no, it's something to think about. Are you facilitating the growth of the kingdom? Because God wants his kingdom to grow. And I'm telling you, if you would just sign up, if you would just say, okay, Lord, I'm available to grow your kingdom. He wants his kingdom to grow. So he's constantly looking for people who are available. And so if you'll just say, I'm available right here where I'm at with what I have, with the time that I have and the job that I am in, or the home that I am in, or the family that I am a part of, or the social media account, that, plural, that I own, I am available to grow the kingdom of God. So this, that's my first point. The first point is the kingdom of God will grow even though it starts off as small. The second point is that the growth will, will shock you. The growth will surprise you. That's really actually the ultimate point of this story, I think, what Jesus is trying to say. The way in which he describes the mustard seed, he says, hey, it's really small. But his main point is that even though it's really small, it grows to this, he calls it a tree, even though he knows it's not a tree. Because it grows beyond the boundaries that you would think would typically apply to shrubbery. To the point where, if you just simply look at it, you might imagine that it's a tree. In other words, the kingdom of God will blow your mind so much that what you thought was impossible, you'll stand back and actually see it happening. And you'll say, wait a minute, I didn't even think that was possible. I didn't even think, like, is that, is that really Fernando? Is that really Romeo? Is that re uh, are you really the same person, right, within an individual, but also within a church? God will, God, God will take tiny little uh, churches, little groups of people that just want to see his kingdom grow. And he will infuse them with power and he will open up opportunities to them and open up doors to them and give them divinely inspired ideas and maybe even sermons. And he will lead them along a journey to where, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, is this really even the same the same church. This is even the same staff. I mean, I know the same faces, but, but we've grown so much. We have such a different perspective, and we've seen the kingdom of God grow in so many different ways that it's like, man, do you look back over the journey, over the history of faith, and it can be quite shocking. And so that's really my second point is that the kingdom of God grows and that that growth is shocking. In fact, you uh, will be shocked. And, and I think actually if you knew like what God was doing right now. I think if you could understand what God was doing right now in your life, that if you really could see that, if you could see the potential of the seed, if you could see the, the end result, the power that God is, is working out, you would get a little more excited than you are right now. 
you would get more encouraged than you are right now. You wouldn't be so tempted to quit. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't back down so easily from, from, from interruptions and from barriers and from hardship. If you could see what God is doing, what he's working out. But God keeps it hidden. God always keeps his, his work hidden. He, he doesn't show his hand. Yeah, he doesn't... Uh, it's kind of like me when I was playing poker on Friday night with... Uh, with John and, and Peter and Kirk and Stefan. I didn't let them see my hand. And I'm not, and I'm not even going to say who won, but I'm just saying it was a good, it was a good, the Lord, the Lord was glorified. Uh, it was a good, they were the Lord's chiefs. That's right. Um, but you don't, you don't let anybody, and, and God doesn't let any, God doesn't let you see his hand. God doesn't let his enemies see his hand. Right? So 1 Corinthians, uh, we don't have this on the screen, but I, I thought this was really interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, tells us that none of the rulers of this age, none of the principalities, none of the demons understood what was happening. For if they had, and this is talking about the death and burial resurrection of Jesus, for if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So in other words, God, when, when, when Jesus was being crucified, he didn't let the enemy know that this was for people's salvation. He kept it hidden that this was a sacrifice, that this was a, a perfect sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the entire world. He kept that part hidden. Now, I know Jesus, before he was crucified, he talked about the fact that he would rise from the dead, right? He talked about what was going to happen, but he never said why. And he never said how, and he never said where, and he left so much to question that the enemy thought that if he would crucify Jesus, that he could finish him, silence him, shut him up. And scripture, the Holy Spirit says that the rulers of this age, if they would have known, it's so interesting, God knows what the devil would do. Because <laughs> God knows what you and I would do. He knows all contingencies. So he knows what the devil would do. And he said, look, he's, he's telling us right now that the devil would not have crucified Jesus if he would have known what was going on. But instead, God kept his enemies in the dark because God does his best work in the dark. So God keeps his enemies in the dark and he also keeps us in the dark. And the, the thing is, his enemies don't have faith. You and I can stick with them in the dark because we have faith. We can stay planted when we're buried because we have faith. When everything's falling all around and we're, we're, dirt's coming on top of us, we're stuck down in the ground and it feels like a burial, we will stick around because we believe the word that was spoken. Satan doesn't believe it though. So Satan doesn't have faith. And so, so God works in the dark. His enemies don't know what he's doing and his friends don't know what he's doing. His, his enemies don't have faith. And so they are constantly shocked and, and not in a good way at how God is working. But his friends do believe his word, and so when he comes through, when growth happens, when, when he does what he said he was going to do, we just rejoice and just glorify him for it. But in 1 Corinthians, it says, it says man, if the enemy knew it was going to happen, they, they would not have crucified him. But, it says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined, this is what God has prepared for those who love him. Again, God does his work in secret. God does his work in the dark. What no eye has seen, that's pretty hidden. <laughs> what no ear has heard. Angels didn't even, like, like, like nobody can keep secrets <laughs> like God. 
Nobody is safe. The angels didn't hear it. They're in the throne room. Like, they, there's, there's, there's not a better secret keeper than, than Jesus. Because it says that, that, that no eye heard, uh, no, no eye could see, nor ear had, had heard, nor had it even entered the heart of man. Like, like, people hadn't even imagined that God would redeem his people through the death of his son. Never even dawned on them. It says, man hadn't even imagined, but these are the things that God was working on or preparing. So God is busy at work doing those things that we do not see, do not hear about, cannot even imagine. These things, it says, God has now revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths, even the depths of God. So in other words, man, if God's going to keep it hidden from the enemy, God's going to keep it hidden from you. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you not end up like the enemy? How do you not end up like the enemy? Well, you put faith in the word of God. When you're buried, you put faith in the word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I just want to close with this story. I was looking at this story last night. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is an interesting story. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I don't know if they have it on the screen or not, but um, I'm going to read here in verse 1. David and his men reached um, Ziklag. Is it up there? Okay, cool. Yes, you can see this. This is an interesting story where David and his men, David's on the run from, from Saul. Saul's been trying to kill him for 17 years because Saul believes rightly that David is going to take over the throne of Israel that God had ordained that for him. But Saul is king and Saul wants to stay king. So this is a part of David's exile. David and his men reach Ziklag on the third day. Now the, uh, now the uh, Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Now, Ziklag is where David was camped, David and his men. This is their camp. So David returns from, from a battle, and he comes home to find out that there had been a massacre in, the, in his own home. Now, nobody had died, Scripture says, but they had all been kidnapped. His wives, he had two wives, his children, all of the soldiers' wives, their children had all been kidnapped. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Now, I know for some of you, this, is, this passage may not feel applicable. But for others, man. <clears throat> and, and honestly, if it doesn't feel applicable to you now, it's all right. Just wait a minute. Because all of us are either in a fight, coming out of a fight, about to go in a fight, or leaving a fight to find out there was a greater fight at home. Because <laughs> life is a fight. Because the enemy is constantly trying to defeat you, and God is constantly trying to bury you. <laughs> Life is a fight because the enemy is constantly trying to defeat you, and God is constantly trying to bury you. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a seed, a mustard seed, does zero good in the hand does zero good on the shelf, does zero good in your pocket, does absolutely no good in storage. It only gets its power when it's buried. 
Jesus even talks about his own life that way. He said, look, man, a single seed is, is worth nothing. But if it goes to the ground, if it falls, and that, he's talking about his death. He says, if it falls, then it produces fruit. So Jesus even knew that, that death was important for the power that God had placed inside of him to come out of him. And so for us, we're not, we, 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 don't, we don't produce that power by dying physically. Instead, we allow, Paul said, to be crucified with Christ. In other words, to die right now, to be a living sacrifice. So the way in which, one of the best ways in which we plant seeds all around us is by submitting to God and allowing Him to bury us, to bury our pride, to bury our unforgiveness, to bury our selfishness, to bury our belief that we are right, to bury our need to get the last word in. To bury our ownership over our kids. Because you don't own them. To bury our ownership over our spouse. To bury our ownership that we feel over our own finances. Our, to bury our reliance on our 401k. To bury our reliance on, on our own strength. God is constantly trying to bury all that. Why? Why? I don't want it to be buried. No, if that will be buried, the power of God will grow out of that. And you will find that these things which had before been a burden to you were actually meant to be a blessing. You will find, like, 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 like Joseph, right? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And I know, like, different people on Facebook will say, well, that's because he told them about his dream. You shouldn't talk about your dream. You got to look out who you trust. As if it would be better for him to have never made it to Egypt. I'm telling you, man, follow TikTok. You'll never find God's will for your life, for real. You will, you will never find it because this world doesn't want to be buried. They want to avoid the burial. They want to avoid pain. They want to avoid discomfort. And because they constantly are trying to avoid burial, they never realize power of resurrection. And so, and so Joseph, in his own life, he wouldn't even have changed it. When Joseph met with his brothers after they had betrayed him years later, and they came to him and they're like, oh my gosh, he's going to kill us now because he's in a, a, a position of authority where power, where he could, he could take us out. And he said, why would I kill you? You helped me. <laughs> why would I kill you? Your betrayal led me to the place where I could actually reach my destiny. So I can't, how can I be bitter toward you? In fact, I'm going to bless you. I got, I got these houses over here. I got this nice land over here. You guys can have that house. You can have that one. You can have that one. And let's just give the rest of this to your kids whenever they get older, like a huge retirement plan. And yet, man, TikTok would be like, well, don't tell anybody your dream. Why not? What's the worst they're going to do? Betray you? <laughs> Help you get to where God wants you to go? Man, I'm telling you, when, when, when you have faith in God, when you put your faith in God, even when it feels like you've been buried, you have faith that this is not the end. This burial is not all that there is. And so it's important that, that you hear this message, whether you're in a fight or not, because if you're not in a fight, wait till you get home. <laughs> Just wait till you get home. You don't know who's come through and stolen, stolen your spouse. And it's like, who are you and what did you do with my... No, I'm just kidding. But you don't know. You don't know what's going, what's going on. The enemy came in and took his wives, 
took his children, they wept until they had more strength to weep. They had no more strength. Verse 5 tells us David's two wives have been captured. And there's their names. I'm not sure how to pronounce them. Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail, uh, uh, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the, the, the widow of uh, Nabal of uh, Carmel. David was greatly distressed, get this, because the men were talking about stoning him. This just gets better and better. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. So here's David coming back from a fight, walking in to what looks like a massacre. Literally everything's burning on fire. And his wives and children and everybody else's that he feels responsible for, they're all gone. And then he turns around to his men, and his men want to kill him. <laughs> it's not a good day. It's not a good day at all. And David, I love this next verse. David found strength in the Lord his God. So what do you do when you're buried? You find strength in the Lord. He didn't find strength in himself. He didn't find strength in self-talk or self-help. He didn't find strength in, in optimism. Oh, I'm sure it'll work out somehow. He didn't find strength in his fellow soldiers because they had, they had abandoned him. He couldn't find strength in his spouse because she was literally gone. He couldn't find strength, derive strength from his children. He couldn't derive strength from his possessions. He couldn't look around and encourage himself. Well, there's a silver lining. It's not that bad. No, it is that bad. Literally everything he owns is up in smoke. <laughs> it's that bad. He couldn't find strength in anything else. And he found strength in the Lord. And so at some point, man, if you're going to produce fruit and if there's going to be growth, the kingdom of God, if it's going to grow in your life, you're going to have to grow up and find strength in the Lord. You're going to have to stop looking to your mom, stop looking to your sister, stop looking to your brother, stop looking to your pastor, stop looking to people, stop looking to yourself. But you're going to have to find strength in the Lord. You say, well, that'd be great. How do I find strength in the Lord? Well, Scripture here doesn't tell us what David did. It only says that, that he found strength in the Lord. Now, later on, the next verse, it does say that he called for the priest, and he brought an ephod, and he began praying, basically. <laughs> that's his version of praying. That's what, that's what praying would look like for him. So, so David found strength in the Lord by turning to the Lord in the midst of the worst day of his life, in the midst of his burial, in, in the midst of feeling like it's over, and he's covered, and it's all done. For 17 years, the man's been on the run, and now the enemy kicks him when he's down. And he's got nothing left. And the truth is, many of us would give up. Many of us would say, fine, you guys want to stone me? Stone each other. I'm out. I'm going to go try to find my wife. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to Mandalorian this thing, right? They're like, just me. Just me and myself. I got my little speeder. I don't have a speeder anymore. I got a horse. So I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. You know? I mean, I mean, many of us, as soon as people want to turn on us, we're ready to turn on them. As soon as our wife walks out on us, we're ready to walk out on her. As soon as our kids are absent, fine. That's how you're going what, what is the common saying? I, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't bring my own ener energy. I reflect your energy. 
There's no growth in that. There's no growth in that. You never grow. If all you ever do is just, you're just a mirror, you just reflect what other people are doing, how is God growing you? How are you maturing? I mean, how are you even taking responsibility for your own attitude, really? But, you know, but, but seriously, at some point, you've got to find strength in the Lord. That the Lord is strong enough that I can go to Him in prayer, whatever I'm facing, no matter how buried I feel, no matter how heavy this is, no matter how unable I am to see a way out of this. And I know, like, in, in the Psalms, uh, uh, David had a lot to say about this. Psalm 105, he said, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His strength. In other words, don't rely on your own strength. Seek His strength. In Psalm 27, David said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He will strengthen your heart. So sometimes, receiving His strength is just simply waiting on the Lord. Meaning, I'm not going to move forward until He moves. I'm waiting on Him. So I'm not going to react. I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm not going to tell her what I think about blah, blah, blah. Until he tells me what, I, what he thinks about blah. I'm waiting on the Lord. David said, man, wait on the Lord. I mean, Isaiah said, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so when we wait on the Lord, then he strengthens us. Sometimes it's not about a great prayer. It's just about keeping your mouth shut until God speaks to you. You might not want to say anything in those moments. David doesn't say anything to the soldiers that are getting ready to stone him. He doesn't say he's, wait, he's waiting on the Lord. Right? Lord, change my thinking about this. Because David wasn't a, a pushover. <laughs> he's the guy who took out Goliath, you know. He's ready to fight. I mean, he'll, he'll go for it. So I, I imagine he had all kinds of things to say. <laughs> he had all kinds of things to tell them about their ungratefulness and their bitterness. I'm sure, oh yeah, for 17 years he's been taking care of them. And some jerks from, uh, some, some jerk Amalekites come in and do some stuff and it's all his fault now. I'm sure he had some stuff to say and he didn't say any of it. He waited on the Lord. He said, man, I need to pray. There's some conversations that need to wait till after I pray. There's some decisions that need to wait till after I pray. There's some, there's, there's some moves that need to wait till after I pray. Because I'm not thinking straight about this right now. Because I'm buried right now and I feel the weight of all that dirt on top of me. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what he's doing. He's not telling me. He's not telling my enemies. He's working in the dark. So I need to get with him first. And I'll wait. He says, wait on the Lord. In uh, Psalm 23, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They strengthen me. They equip me. His presence is with me. In Psalm 18, he said, as for God, his ways are perfect. I don't know them, but they're perfect. He doesn't, he doesn't check in with me first, but they're perfect. His timing is perfect. Everything about his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord, he says, is proven. In other words, if he told you in the light, you can believe it in the dark. If he told you when you're above ground, you can believe it when you're underground. <laughs> his word is proven. It's been proven time and time again. God's never let anybody down. In all of human history, he's never let anybody down. Ever. <laughs> Trust me. He's not going to let you... He's not going to ruin his reputation... Just to mess you up. 
Literally, his word has never fallen short. It's always been proven. Those who wait on him, those who wait on him, see him move, see him act. And so David says in Psalm 18, he says, the word Lord is proven. He's a shield to those who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. It's not myself. It's not my family. It's not my wife. It's not my kids. It's not my church. It is God who arms me with strength. And when I'm buried, it's God who's there with me. When I'm in the dark, it's God who's faithful walking with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And so I find strength by waiting on Him, by praying to Him. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, He says in Psalm 27. And He will strengthen your heart. Man, it's just time and time again. You just go through the Psalms and you see so much about God strengthening David. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he's strengthened by the Lord. Now what's interesting is you keep reading chapter 30. We don't have it up on the screen, but you keep reading. And, and he convinces some of the guys to go with him to go try to get their women and their kids back. And those guys, they do, they go chase down the Amalekites, they end up catching up with them, they end up defeating them, and they end up rescuing all, all their wives and all their kids unhurt. They bring them back to a burning village. But it's a little bit better, right? And, 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 and so it's a nice ending to a little story there in chapter 30. But chapter 30 is buried between chapter 29 and chapter 31. Which chapter 29 and chapter 31, Samuel, the author, is dealing with a particular story uh, that, that's happening at, during this same time. And this is a story about the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. Which seems kind of innocuous enough, except for the fact that this is actually Saul's last battle. Nobody knows that except God. And he did clue Saul into it in the previous chapters anyway Saul but Saul didn't have faith see even God even told Saul he said you're going to die in this battle and Saul was like well I better change out my armor so they don't know who the king is so he changed out his armor to put king armor on somebody else so that they would be the target again man he just didn't believe God he thought that he could work it out in such a way that what God had said wouldn't come to pass. So he's like, okay, you wear my armor, I'll wear yours, I'm just a regular soldier, yada, yada, yada. And scripture tells us in, 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 in chapter 29 that it was an errant arrow. Like, it was just somebody just shot and missed. <laughs> it was an accident, is what scripture is saying. Wink, wink, nod, nod. It was an accident. That this arrow goes that way, and then it kind of went around that way. And bam, hit him right in the chink of the armor, right in the chest. It was a mortal wound. And he tells his driver, man, pull over. You get to chapter 31, he has the driver pull over. And Saul gets out his own sword and falls on his own sword, ends his life. Tries to. And anyway, and he still doesn't quite die. And so the, an Amalekite comes and chops his head off. Anyway, this is an interesting story. Um, but it, it's, it's sand, like this story of David 
in his battle is sandwiched in the middle of that battle. And it's very important because David had no idea what God was doing. That God was sending an arrow off target to go straight to the guy that's been hunting David for 17 years. And when Saul was dead, when the news got out that he was dead, people said, hey, let's go get David and make him king. And literally, by the end of chapter 31, he's riding into Jerusalem as the new appointed king. Telling me, you don't know what God's, on your worst day, you don't know what God's doing. Imagine if David would have quit. Imagine if chapter 29, he said, you know what, forget you all. <laughs> all y'all, forget all y'all. I'm, I'm on my own, 17 years of this mess, I'm done with it. And he walked off. Do you really think they would have been, hey, let's go make that guy king? <laughs> Probably not. Man, I'm telling you, that this is where if you will stay buried, the kingdom of God does grow. If you will stay buried, the kingdom of God does grow because God's doing stuff during the exact same time that you have no way of knowing. David had no way of knowing that God was winning the greater battle for him while he was under this horrible battle that he was facing. He had no way of knowing chapter 31. When you're in chapter 30, you don't know what's in chapter 31. But God does. God knows the end from the very beginning. And I think God wants to encourage you with this, this word today. That if you knew what he knew, you'd be as confident as he is. If you knew what he was doing, you'd be as joyful as he is. If you knew what, what chapter 31 held, you would hold on through chapter 30. Because even though this is really difficult, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my hope in the Lord. And I'm going to seek strength from Him. I'm going to wait on Him. So if you're here today, uh, let's just respond to this word for just a moment. If you're here today and maybe you actually, you haven't put your faith in Jesus at all. And you are like Saul and you're doing life on your own. Man, even, you see where it led? It led to suicide, actually. Because ultimately, when you're relying on your own strength, at some point, life hits you harder, stronger than you are. When you're relying on your own wisdom, man, at some point, you're going to get outwitted by life, outsmarted by the enemy. But if you put your hope in the Lord, it's such a beautiful juxtaposition. You have David strengthening himself in the Lord, and then you have Saul on the other side of the, the country trying to be smarter, trying to be better, trying to, and he just can't. And so salvation really is one, just, just quitting. <laughs> to be saved means to quit, trying to save yourself. It means to say, Dad, I need you. Father, I need you. I've been trying to swim for so long. I need a lifeline. Could you just throw me a lifeline? It's the humility to say, I can't do it on my own. And that humility is rewarded by the rescue of a father who's been waiting for us to get to that point. He says, great, let me lift you up. Let me help you. Let me show you the way. And even though you think it's hopeless, I got chapter 31 right around the corner. Next page. 
So if you're here today and you've been doing life on your own and you want to commit to follow Jesus and do life his way and have him help you, uh, would you just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm committing to that. I know there's people around and that's difficult. But if you can't, if you can't raise your hand, I mean, you probably can't actually do this thing anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> so if you are, yeah, some, some people brave enough to raise their hands, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's That's surrender. So, Father, right now we do. We surrender. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So, Father, look, I confess my sin of pride. Confess my sin of self-reliance. Uh, I've been trying to do this on my own. I need you. So, Jesus, come into my heart. Change my life. Show me the way that you want me to go. I will follow you I will soften my heart I will believe you in Jesus name and maybe maybe you're here today and you you have put your faith in Jesus and you are walking with Jesus but man you're in a you're in a battle you're in a fight and I I'd just like to pray over you real quick would you if that's you, if you're in a fight, would you just stand up with me, maybe? <laughs> Take a stand and say, I need to be strengthened by the Lord. I need to receive the Lord's strength. Mm. Yeah. Could you just put your hands out in the act of receiving? He wants to give you strength. It is his pleasure to give you the Holy Spirit. It is his good pleasure. Like He, he enjoys it. We're not begging him for anything he doesn't want to do. He's been waiting for us to say, I need you. Maybe you've been saying that every day. <laughs> and that's good. Just one more day. Father, we come before you right now with our arms outstretched. We, we need your strength. We've seen what we can do. And it's not much. We need your strength. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen our, our faith. Strengthen our inner man, that inner determination to be faithful to God, that inner determination to see this thing through, that inner determination to not quit. Lord, strengthen that part of us that first believed you. Strengthen that part of us that first was inspired by hope, that what we saw in the light strengthened that part of us that we would remember I think David probably remembered back when he was, I don't know, 12 or 13, whenever Samuel came and poured anointing oil on his head. I'm not going to quit here because God said something different there. And because God said something different there, I believe it's still applicable. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't canceled anything. He hasn't, he hasn't reworked his plan. His word is proven. So, Lord, we, may, may, may you bring to remembrance all of the words that you have spoken over us, all of the verses that we have read. Yeah, may we meditate on your word. The word of God is a strong tower. This is what we can meditate on. We can go into this place and we don't respond out of our own flesh or out of our own reasoning or out of our own thinking the way we think it could work. No, God is doing something bigger and better than we can even imagine. So we believe that God 
is working on our behalf. We believe that God is pulling all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We refuse to give in to the darkness and doubt and fear. Strengthen us, Father. And as you strengthen us, may we sow those seeds of strength to those around us. May we somehow convince some people to go with us to go get our stuff back. Because <laughs> it's ours. That marriage was given to me by God. It's mine. I'm not going to let the enemy steal that. My kids were, were on loan to me by God. I'm not going to let the enemy steal that. So we continue to fight. That's, what, that's, that, that's the product of strength. You know you have strength when, when you didn't even have strength to cry anymore. And then the next verse, they have strength to actually go out and get back what is theirs. To fight. To continue to fight. To fight for, uh, man, our relationships. To fight for, some of us are fighting for promotion. Some of us are fighting for finances. Some of us are fighting for our health. Some of us are fighting for our mental health, fighting against depression, fighting against anxiety, fighting against thoughts of suicide. But this is how you know that you've received the strength of the Lord. You get back up and you go back to battle. And you say, no, that was actually mine. That's been stolen. God gave that to me. God wanted me to have that. That gift that I've laid aside and let lay dormant for so long, that was something God gave to me. And I let, the, I let depression take it away. I let fear of man take it away. That was mine. It was supposed to be used by me for his kingdom, for his glory. My health, I let, I let, I let it slip away. But that's supposed to be mine. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to fight for that. So, Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for that you're working even when we can't see you, we thank you that you're moving and we trust you right now. Strengthen your people, God. Pour out strength to everyone whose hands are just open to you right now. Strengthen our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can stay standing because you're, be, you're about to be dismissed. About to send you out. Um, but... Uh, Maybe, yeah, I guess maybe, maybe before we dismiss, I, I, I do have an announcement for you. One, I, I, got, I got two announcements for you. One announcement is that youth, the youth after church right now, we're going to go play some blazer tag. So if you're um, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and you want to come play blazer tag with us, um, uh, Rocky will not be there. Um, even though I, 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 I looked it up. I looked it up. Maybe Rocky's watching from home. But I, I wanted to see, was Blazer Tag literally even around when Rocky was young? Because that, that's what he said on Sunday. He said that he used to play when he was young. And Corey and I were in the back going like, how? How is that possible? And I'm not even joking about it. Like, I'm just like, I, I don't think it's literally physically possible. I don't think, unless he's like done the time warp thing. And so, no, it, so it was invented. A guy, strangely enough, a guy had the idea in 1977 when he watched Star Wars. 
And then he created it in 1982, just before the final Star Wars came out. So anyway, so the first laser tag ever that Rocky could have gone to was in 1982. I was two years old. Rocky was younger than he is right now, and maybe that's what he meant. I'll, I'll just take him at his word. I don't think he has any weird memories as a kid of that, but I think younger, like he was, I think he was in his 30s or his 20s or so. Anyway, uh, so anyway, so 1982 is when it started. So if you guys want to come shoot some laser tag with it, that's still a while. I was surprised. I thought it was like in the 90s. So I learned something. Um, but anyway, uh, the, yeah, 1982. And my second announcement is this, that, uh, and, 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 I, and I want you guys maybe to help me share this announcement. Just turn to somebody next to you, somebody that you know. Uh, you, can, you can turn to me. You guys can turn to each other. Go ahead. Yeah, you're, you're married. You can turn. So go, so, go, so go ahead and turn to somebody that you know, and I want you to share this announcement with them, okay? All right? Tell them. Tell him, you, you can just go and tell me. All right, so uh, Jonathan, Jonathan. So, so, so go ahead and tell him. So I, I'm not, who, who, who are you telling? You can tell Amy. Tell, 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 tell Amy over there. People just looking at me. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. I'm going to let you know. So this is what you're going to tell. So you're going to tell him. I'm just making this up as we go along. So, so you're going to tell him. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure why, but I have, I have a feeling. The chapter 31 is going to be a whole lot better. All right, so you're dismissed. See you later.